Thank you for listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCrary, your host, and today I'm being joined by Mike Livingston. Mike is one of the editors on the Adult Explore the Bible team. Mike, thank you for being with us today. Happy to be here. Thanks. Uh, we're going to be looking at session one of the spring 2022 study of First and Second Thessalonians. This is our first session out of First Thessalonians. We're looking at verses one through 10. Uh, we've entitled this session Commended, and the main idea is that transformed lives impact others for the sake of the gospel. The outline that we're following has four main points, partnership, evidence, influence, and purpose. That first one, partnership, is from 1 Thessalonians 1.1. In that verse, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they introduce themselves as the writers of this letter to the church of Thessalonica. The point for us to walk away with from this introduction is that kingdom work involves believers working in partnership. And we're going to talk more about that partnership idea here in a little bit, Mike. The second point is evidence, which is verses 2 through 5a. We end with the statement from the CSB with full assurance. In this, these verses, Paul explained that they always gave thanks for the Thessalonians because of their works of faith, their loving labor, and their endurance. He expressed his awareness that God had chosen these believers, delivering the gospel in his power. Once again, one more thing we're going to be talking about, Mike, giving you a heads up. We're going to have to deal with the idea of election here in verse 3. Right. So right. we don't want that to overwhelm uh, and become the focus of the lesson, but I I'm going to be counting on you to help us think through some there things there. Sure thing. uh, the main point here is the gospel produces evidence of its power. The third point Beginning halfway through verse 5 through verse 8, we start with you know how, going forward from there. Paul recounted how the Thessalonians had followed the example of the missionaries, who were also seeking to imitate Christ. The Thessalonians had become examples for others in Macedonia and Achaia. The main point for us is as, as believers seek to imitate Christ, they influence others to do the same. The last point, verses 9 and 10, is purpose, and in these verses, Paul emphasized that the Thessalonians had turned from idols and now served the one true God. As a result, they had a hope for a future and forgiveness because of the resurrection of Jesus. The main point for us here is the resurrection of Jesus gives believers hope and a future. Well, Mike, let's start off with this first idea, verse 1. I mentioned it already about a partnership here. Uh, let's explore a little bit about Paul and Silas and Timothy and their relationship with the Thessalonians. I know that in, pack, in the pack items, pack item 11 in the leader pack is entitled Thessalonica in the first century, which just gives us some background to the city itself. Yeah. But I, I want us to think more about Paul, Silas, and Timothy here. Can you help us understand that relationship? Um, yeah, maybe maybe a little bit. Paul included the names of Silas and Timothy here in the first verse because, um, for one thing, the church knew these men. The church already knew them. Both, both Silas and Timothy had been involved 
in uh, different capacities with the Thessalonian congregation. Uh, Silas had teamed up with Paul on Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, you remember that uh, Silas was in the Philippian jail with Paul. And then from Philippi, they traveled together to Thessalonica. And so, so uh, Silas was there involved in the starting of the church at, at uh, Thessalonica. That's recorded in Acts 17. We don't know that Timothy was involved in, in starting the church. The implication in Acts is he, he probably was. He's mentioned in Acts 17, 14, along with Silas. What we do know for sure is that Paul had sent Timothy um, to help the church uh, there, and Timothy brought back a report to Paul about how they were doing, and that's in 1 Thessalonians 3. So the church knew these men. And these two men were with Paul when he wrote the letter. Uh, and so throughout the letter, Paul uses this first person uh, plural, we, uh, throughout. Uh, three times he's, he uses we uh, in verses uh, two through four, uh, there at the beginning, to emphasize that they're all in agreement uh, concerning the things that Paul was writing. Now, this is significant uh, for a couple of reasons, and, and we don't need to just skip over these names as though they're, you know, they're not important. I think they are important. There, um, there's a saying, you know, I know you've heard the saying that um, second fiddle is the most difficult instrument to play, uh, and, and few can really play it well. Not everyone has a temperament to play second fiddle, but Silas was, was one of those who, who could and seemed comfortable in that role. And every time he's mentioned in scripture, He's sitting in the second chair. He's not, he's not in the first chair. He's in the second chair. He's, he's serving in the shadows of more prominent leaders, whether it's Paul or also Peter, as I mentioned in a minute. So he's, he's, he's one who's comfortable leading from the second chair. Oh, I just, I just finished a book recently. Um, you may know it, Leading from the Second Chair. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Mike Bonham and Roger Bonham. Patterson. Yeah. yeah. And, and they talk about this. They talk about, they don't talk about Silas, I don't think, but they talk about how it's a really, it's a challenging thing to, to be a second chair leader or third chair or fourth chair. But for a church to grow, uh, you, you need those second chair leaders who are comfortable in that second chair and who can work in concert uh, with those, the first chair leaders and, the, and who can leverage their influence in their specific areas of ministry without usurping the authority of the first chair leader, all of this to advance the mission to lead the congregation forward. How, how important the second chair leaders are is really, you know, really what that's about. That book talks a lot about the tension too between first chairs, the desire yeah. for some to be in first chair and how you have to be comfortable being the second chair to really add value to that. Organization. Yeah. Yeah. It talks, it's, it's a difficult role for some and you have to be comfortable in that and under, understand that role and, and the, the significance of that role and the impact that you can have in that role. And so Silas apparently was one who could, who could do that. And you see him in that same role with Peter. Um, Peter also mentioned Silas by name at the end of first Peter. He calls, Peter calls Silas a faithful brother. Um, Silas had served in the shadows not only of Paul, but in, in the shadow of Peter and, and served well. And, and, uh, and, and he was the one who delivered Peter's letter to the churches in, in Asia Minor. So he was that uh, faithful second chair leader who seemed to be comfortable in that role and how important that is. Um, so the mention of Silas and Timothy reminds us of the importance of being faithful in, in the role 
and in the position, the place where, where God puts us, wherever that is. And for most of us, that's, that's not going to be in the limelight. It's not going to be in the spotlight. And, and maybe what we do doesn't draw a lot of attention, uh, attention from others. But uh, we have to understand, you know, to be faithful where, where God puts us uh, is, is so very important. And, and, and also, it, this reminds us that, you know, Paul didn't work alone. He wasn't a lone ranger. Uh, the mention of these men reminds us that serving in the kingdom is, is, is always a team effort. And it involves us working in partnership with, with one another and, and how much we need one another. Isn't it funny how we sometimes get the idea that Paul was a Lone Ranger and it, it was all on him. But everywhere we look in Acts, we find him with other people leading. Yeah. And, and in his letters, he's, you know, he mentions his, his co-workers uh, throughout his letters. And so he, you know, he wasn't one who worked by himself. He was working as a team. One activity here that may help uh, at this point in this lesson is to point to the Bible skill. Uh, in that Bible skill for this particular session, people are encouraged to review Acts 16 through 18. You may want to assign this to somebody before the group time because that, that's a lot of content to look through during the group time that's really secondary to what's going on in the lesson. But if you have that person give a report on what they found in Acts 16 through 18 and then just share some of the, the highlights, the main events that stuck out about Paul's time in Thessalonica and how those experiences might have influenced his feelings towards the believers in Thessalonica. That may give folk a little bit deeper insight into Paul and Silas's and Timothy's relationship with this church uh, and their, their, their perceived feelings towards them. Uh, Mike, I mentioned uh, in the earlier content that in verse four, we see this idea of chosen. Uh, how can we keep this from becoming the focus of this lesson? Paul mentions he's, that God has chosen you, right? Or King James, knowing your election. King James uses the word election. So the temptation for some would be to take that phrase or that word and just run wild with it. Or for others, the temptation will be, I'm not even going to touch that. I'm going to ignore that. <laughs> I don't know where you are. Uh, this would be somewhere in the middle there. Um, I think the, the way to approach this, I think, is to ask the question, what's going on here? Uh, what, what's, what's, what's going on in that, that church in, in uh, Thessalonica? What's, uh, what's Paul trying to communicate in, in this passage? And I, I think it's important to, to recognize that Paul is writing to the church as a pastor, not as a theologian. Yes, it, yes, it's theologically grounded. I'm not saying it, you know, I'm not saying theology is not significant here or, you know, uh, yeah, it's theologically grounded. But Paul is writing this as a pastor. And he's addressing some specific needs in this church. Here, here are some believers who are struggling with some hardships and some difficult situations. They're, for, one, for one thing, they're living with persecution. They're being persecuted. So Paul is writing as a pastor to this church. There's a, there's a statement in the leader guide that's very really important. I, I think it's a really important statement that says, students of the scriptures should not let contemporary arguments obscure Paul's original purpose. That's a good warning. That's a good, a good word for us. Let's not let contemporary, the contemporary climate, theological, doctrinal, you know, discussions going on 
obscure what Paul's purpose was in the first century as, as he wrote this. Throughout 1 Thessalonians, you find the language of chosen or election, and you also find the language of calling. And I think those are related terms. Those are related concepts. God has called you. God has chosen you. And Paul here is reminding the Thessalonians of God's initiative in their salvation. And he's reminding them that God took the initiative to call them, to choose them, for one, for one to encourage them. They needed encouragement. So he's saying here, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, your security as a believer is grounded in the one who has chosen you to be his own. That the one who loves you, the one who has chosen you, is faithful. And he uses that, um, that, term, that phrase in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he who calls you is faithful. So he's writing uh, as a pastor to, to uh, encourage them, to comfort them, to affirm them that God is faithful to them, that God took the initiative to, to choose them, to call them, and they could trust him. And he's writing also to challenge them in this, to live faithfully. The, the idea of chosenness is the basis for Paul's challenging them to live as God's chosen people. He's saying God is he's, he's called you, he's chosen you to be his, therefore live, live like his, live godly lives. So in chapter 2, verse 12, walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. In chapter 4, verse 7, God has not called you to us to impurity, but to live in holiness. So live in a, in a manner that's worthy of him who calls you to be his own. So again, let's not let current theological debates uh, obscure uh, our understanding of what Paul's original intent here was. Now, to, to say to a believer who's going through a struggle, God loves you and he's chosen you to be his. That does not minimize in any way human free will. It, does, it doesn't mean the believer had no choice in how he or she was going, would, would respond to God's initiative. Uh, Paul certainly recognized that, that we have to make a response to God. And he, he, he talks about that in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. He thanked God that they had received the message. They received it. Or in chapter 1, verse 9, they chose to turn from idols to serve the living God. Turning there is an active verb. It, 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 it suggests a personal choice that they made. Here, the thing is that God always takes the initiative, whether it's in creation, whether it's in salvation, God takes the initiative. But at the same time, people are free to choose uh, to, to receive or, or to reject, and then they're responsible for the choices that we make. So it's not an either, either or here. So I, I think the focus of this lesson, the focus of this should be where Paul's focus was. He was addressing pastoral concerns with believers who were going through a struggle, and they needed this encouragement. They needed to hear this. Hey, God loves you. He's chosen you to be his. You, they need to hear that. We need to hear that. Yeah. Now, you find both of the, the elements that you would normally have in this debate present in, in this passage yeah. um, or in, in, in this book in First Thessalonians, as you noted. Uh, so if one wants to take one side, they have to realize the other side is just as present. Uh, in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, realizing that both of that both were needed for them to understand. Number one, they they chose this path, and God chose this path for them. Both would be true in that context. Like in the latter part of this.
passage, we find this idea of there's evidence of salvation. A question that, that may come up is how is this based on the resurrection as opposed to this being some type of works mentality? Certainly, what we don't want to communicate in this is that the Christian life is just about um, checking off a list of religious activities that, that one must do. You know, we, we don't want to communicate that. That's what the Christian life is, it consists of. Some of our listeners will remember, maybe you still use this, um, this six-point record system. I know some of you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. There was a, it was one, there is one version, I think it's still available. There's a ver- one version of these offering envelopes that you can get that assigns percentage points even to every, to each of those actions. Like you're present, 20%. On time, 10%. You, you bring your Bible, 10%. You study your lesson, that's 30%. Um, offering, 10%. Preaching, 20%. I think those are the percentages. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong wrong with that, but I, I'm saying we need to be careful what we communicate. Uh, are those evidences of salvation? You know, if so, then what percentage do you need to to consistently score to be secure in your salvation? The fact is that God doesn't grade on a sliding scale. It's like, okay, this week I got 70%, and uh, the guy next to me here only got 50. You know, so I'm all right. Um, so, so the question here, you know, what? Okay, what what is the evidence that we can point to? Uh, in this passage, uh, that might be a, a proof of salvation. I think there's something here. I think there's something in this passage. I, notice in this passage, a couple of things here. You notice the Holy Spirit working through the preaching of the gospel to bring about life transformation. Verse five, uh, you know, I've underlined, you know, two couple things gospel the word gospel because of our our gospel didn't come to you in word only but also in power in the holy spirit and with full assurance there you got the holy spirit working through the preaching of the gospel to bring about change in these uh, these people's lives uh and it, go back to acts 17 where paul went into thessalonia and and, and uh, thessalonica and he preached in the synagogue on three consecutive sabbath days and it says in verses two and three of Acts 17 that he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead. That's the gospel they heard. Okay? The gospel Paul preached when he went into the city and preached in the synagogues was that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. That's the gospel that Paul preached to them. And that's, that's the message that he's saying here in Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. You, you received this message. You welcomed that message. Verse 9, they turned uh, from God, from idols to God. So, so the first thing, what I'm saying here is that they were saved. Their lives were changed when they received the spirit-empowered gospel. And, and then their, their lives begin to give evidence. Their lives gave evidence of that change, of that salvation. And others were, were able to see the change in them. So the Holy Spirit uses the gospel to change lives. So where in this passage do we see evidence of that? And where do we see evidence of, of how their lives were changed? Well, in verse 3 is one place you see that. Uh, you know, Paul, Paul he, he emphasizes in his letters that we're saved by faith, not works, but the faith that saves works. Look in verse 3. He talks about their work produced by faith. 
labor motivated by love, endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. Three, the first three evidences of their salvation right there, a faith that worked, a love that labored, a hope that endured. And he goes on, you go, you know, go on through the passage, you see other evidences of their, of their salvation. In verses seven and eight, they became an example to others. The word of the Lord rang out from them. So they were impacting other people. Their, their testimony was obvious to others. Verses nine and 10, others were, had taken notice of how, uh, of how their lives had changed. They could, others could see what God was doing in their lives. Also in verse 10, he, he, Paul mentions how they're waiting for his son from heaven, which that in itself is evidence of the, the change in their lives, because here they are living for eternal realities. Um, the word waiting in verse 10 is an active word. It's, it means that even in the midst of the persecution they're going through, they, they continued to worship and to witness because they knew and they trusted the one who was coming to rescue them. So when we serve and live with, with, any, with eternity in mind, with an eternal hope that's rooted in the resurrection of Jesus, then the temporary and the transitory is less likely to, to distract us. And that, I think, is a major theme of First and Second Thessalonians. Especially knowing that persecution is going on in the background when Paul's writing this letter to them. Yeah. That makes a big, big impact. Like yeah. I'll just point this out because you, you brought it up about the Holy Spirit. Uh, when I look through this passage, these 10 verses, I notice in verse one, we see God the Father. Verse, verse one, we also see Lord Jesus Christ. Then we see, uh, we pray to God. Uh, we talk about the presence of God the Father in verse three the hope of Lord Jesus Christ in verse three as well. Um, then uh, Holy Spirit, his power in verse five. Uh, there's multiple places, the Holy Spirit, joy with the, from the Holy Spirit in verse six. Uh, then Jesus who rescues us in verse 10. There are different places in this particular passage that we see the Trinity represented, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And uh, if we want to take a little deeper dive with our class, this is we one of those excursion trips to take. We could take our class down this, this path for just a little bit to help them realize that in our lives, both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are involved, not just in who we are and what we do, but they're also involved in our salvation. They're involved in the total work of what's going on in our world. And we could take this passage and just note the ways that Paul references each one of the members of the Trinity and the role they're playing in that passage. Now, that may give us a deeper insight into our salvation and the Trinity in general. But that's just a little side note, little excursion you may want to take. You may not want to do that. It's extra on top of the, the main point of the lesson, but it might be something that if you've got a class of seasoned people may be helpful. Uh, Mike, do you have any other key insights or thoughts that you might share from this passage? You know, one church, one congregation can influence the cause of Christ far beyond its own walls and its own community. Like the Thessalonian church, for example, where Paul said towards the end there, towards the end of chapter one, he's, he's saying how the word of the Lord had, had, you know, rang out from them. And, and he's saying basically, and I'm paraphrasing that he's saying, wherever we go, people are talking about you. You know, he's like, I don't have to tell people about what God is doing in the Thessalonian church because they've already heard about it. They're already talking about what God is doing in your church. All too often it's, it's bad news about a church that travels, 
you know, people talk about the bad, you know, stuff, you know, what's going on yeah. you know, down there at the church. And, you know, often, often it's, you know, bad stuff. This would be good gossip. This is good. Yeah. And in the case of the Thessalonians, it's good news. And everywhere Paul went, people already knew about their testimony and, and how God was working in them and through them. May, may our churches be the kind of, of church uh, churches where people everywhere are talking about the good things that God is doing in our church and doing through our church and not about the negative things that its members are doing. Let me just remind our listeners that from time to time in the podcast, we mentioned different resources in the Explore the Bible family. For example, today we mentioned the Leader Pack. If you want to find out more about the all that Explore the Bible has to offer, then you can go to the website at goexplorethebible.com. We want to thank you for listening to us this week, and we hope you join us again next week. We will take a look at session two. Bob Bunn will be joining me. We'll be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 12, and the main point is that the gospel is to be shared with compassion and grace.